it's alive. And yet it looks so dead out there. Oh, no, it's alive and waiting for you. Listeners, welcome to an all-new Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, and you just heard Steve Reberb and the Sound Tones, a band we haven't played in a very long time. Um, and uh, tonight, I have one of the members, a great, great friend of mine, um, who I have talked about on the show several times, Justin Beam over in Marion, Iowa. He was the drummer for um, Steve Reberb and the Sound Tones. And uh, he is a filmmaker. He has done some amazing documentaries on some horror classics, uh, doing projects for Vinegar Syndrome, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Paramount, um, and Arrow Video. He also has an amazing event coming up at the Highway 61 Drive-In in Maquoketa, a double feature of uh, Monster Squad and Alligator. It's great to be here, Christian. I, I love the show. I love your archiving. And I, I sing your praises as I travel the country because as I'm – out and about doing my work, I always bump into people from Iowa. Iowa people love to talk with other Iowans, and your show is one that I bring up often. Like, do you, there is an archive for these bands that you've seen because everyone, when they hear that I'm from Cedar Rapids, they say, "Oh, that's by Iowa City." I used to go to Gabe's all the time, and I'm like, if you want to revisit any of that, there's a wonderful archive online that you can dive into so many bands preserved on there. And really Christian, what you're doing with this show and with that archive is something so incredibly valuable to the state history preservation that no one else is doing. And I, and speaking for any other musician that's ever come through this state, thank you for doing what you do, man. Oh, Hey, I, I mean, I do it cause I'm ups- I get obsessed with it. And, um, you know, you probably saw my post earlier this week from that guy who sent me that tape from conniption fit that was yeah. at Waverly, yeah. the ska band. Um, and, and you know, the Gabe's, I actually, uh, um, uh, the gal that was in Iowa beef experience reached out to me about two years ago and was talking about, it's like, she wished that, um, someone had been recording every show at Gabe's back in the day, you yeah. know, Gabe's was legendary. And it really, when I was a kid growing up in Marion, Iowa city was my New York city and the shops there, the record collector and BJ's records. My friends and I would, a good buddy of mine and I would sometimes leave school early on a Friday and then head up to Iowa city. And we would spend the afternoon shopping and doing like going to the record stores. And we would spend hours in BJ's and record collector flipping through the pictures and learning little bits and pieces about history. It's not just about these things being available, the music being available, but also I remember at record collector, there was a photo under the glass at the counter of Jim Morrison from a doors concert in Iowa city. I had no idea the doors had ever played there. So it's little things like that. This mythology 
around this stuff matters just as much as the experiences that we had. And it is too bad that more wasn't recorded at a place like Gabe's, but man, that town lives on the hearts and tongues of everyone who frequented any of those clubs up there for all those years. Uh, you know, Iowa City is a, is, a, is a frequent topic whenever people are on the show, all the guests, because that is a town that a lot of people come and go because it's a college town. Um, when I was in high school, I remember going there, and uh, uh, if you remember when Daydreams Comics was on oh, yeah. the Ped Mall, yep. um, the, and then the record collection location that was on, not where it's at now, but um, down the street from Ragstock. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, when it was upstairs, there, and, yes, I do remember it was upstairs. Yeah. Uh, I think that was just, I, th- you know, that might've been right as I was like coming of age when it went, went down to that street mm-hmm. level store. Yeah. It felt like uh, there was a movement happening in Iowa city that it was, and a lot of people locally were like, this could be the next Seattle when the whole grunge thing was happening in the nineties and any town could have been the next one. There were bands like the Bent Scepters and some of these others that were uh, House of Large Sizes had got signed to Columbia at this time. And all of a sudden it felt like a lot of places felt or a lot of eyes were on Iowa and on Iowa music. And I think that that added this this whole new energy to Iowa City and that whole scene there that's changed a lot since then. Like the mill is gone now. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some things have come and gone, but. Uh, it forever locked in my heart for sure. And it was always an honor to step on the stage at Gabe's. I mean, that was my whiskey at go-go when I was a kid. And oh, absolutely. It smelled it like hell. Too. Yeah. Hauling my drums up that back staircase, which is like a 90 degree staircase, but unforgettable evenings. And then memories of playing a gig and then meeting someone and then going wandering around the cemetery, trying to find the black angel statue or uh, you know, oh, memorial yeah. and, God, that, that's stuff. like a rites of passage is finding the black angel. Yeah. Um, that and then the 13 steps, the cemetery out right. in Halo. Yep. Those two were the two uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City haunts. You know, um, I want to get into you growing up. Um, we both share a love for horror films and films in general. Um, we both work in the industry. Um, we we met, I want to say we met probably about 2013, 2014, um, during the that the last original incarnation of um, when Fangoria was still before it is what it is now, because um, you hooked me up with uh, Chris Alexander and had my my first story ever published was because of you connected Aww. with him when I um, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Uh, I didn't know that was your first one. That's amazing. That man. was the That's first great. one. I that was the first one. Um, yeah, the one on. Um, Steve Parsons of, and and uh, the soundtrack to The Howling too. Yep. Um, that, I, I mean, that was like, and that was my first overseas phone call that I ever did <laughs> was for that. Um, but uh, you know, you and I kind of grew up in similar areas. I was out um, south side of Cedar Rapids in Ely. You were in Marion, but we were about ten years apart. But a lot of the same experiences still exist because yeah. it was sort of that. I call it the pre the pre Facebook world because mm-hmm. like myspace didn't even exist until i was a senior in high school sure yeah, yeah know, and that's so. and that's way after me i mean back my bands when i was in high school like the end was my was a long-standing band here in marion it was kind of a to mention the reference the doors it was kind of a doorsy thing that I, I i didn't sing i'm not a singer i'm horrible but i was more just like sort of mumbling and dry humping the mic stand was my thing so that works. the end was my band and then i was in one called prickle with a bunch of guys from various schools in the area. And we were, but we were out hustling. I still have a box of business cards for the end from when I was in junior high. That's, it's so clumsy and all the wording on it. It's too, anyway, I, I was out trying to get gigs for these, you know, we'd play a new year's Eve thing at the YMCA for oh a bank God. in the area. We play at freedom fest in Cedar Rapids. Cause outdoors it's cool to have kids, but bars would never hire us into it. And then there was another band that I played with, Billy Satterfield, Bill Null, who's a classmate of mine at Linmar. And we, we did this Hendrix cream kind of power trio guitar driven thing. That was so much fun to be a part of. And we did quite a bit of traveling with that one. It was far and away the most well-traveled of any of those bands that I was a part of, but we had to put the posters on the, on the light poles. We're going to different clubs and stapling stuff on the door we're trying to just get the word out any way we could it's remarkable the 
resources that bands have today to do this. But back then it was all foot power. It was bags of flyers that we just take and hand out to anybody who would take one as we're going around town and going to Iowa city and flyer and the heck out of that area. It was a lot of fun and it felt like we had earned something by the time we walked in and started setting up our gear. Like, okay, we worked our butts off to get here. Did Cedar Rapids have sows or relics yet at that point? Relics was the hub. Relics was where I lived my entire junior high and high school life. I was so tight with Aaron Tapkin, who worked there, and then Jerry, who owned it, but mostly Aaron. And she and I were so similar in our musical tastes, and she would know what to pre-order for me. We, I, I would help out with their midnight release parties. Uh, that when. Nirvana played in Davenport. Aaron and I were there and we had just had an in utero release party with a cake and everything. And when, when we met Kurt after the show, she had a picture of the cake and he was just like, are you kidding me? Like, wow, that's, he was just totally floored by how much she had put into this. And I can't say enough about what Aaron has meant to music in the, especially the Marion Cedar Rapids area through relics and her influence and nurturing of area musicians and really buying into us, not just as musicians, but also as fans and then remembering what we loved. And, and now she runs alter ego comics with her husband, Jeremy and Marion, which has been going successfully for a very long time. And she treats all those customers with the same kind of love. So mega shout out, mega love to Aaron and Jeremy for sure. Um, you know, for you, um, having the taste that you had, like how how did those how did those tastes reach you growing up? Like how did you hear about these things? These this music, um, you know. Again, we're talking way way pre internet. Um, like, was it in magazines? Was it through friends? Like, how did how did how did culture reach you back then? Because Marion was a different, very different place. Cedar Rapids was a very different place than it is now. I was one who wasn't really force fed any kind of influence in this regard. My parents weren't trying to introduce me to anything. And so, but I, my dad had some records, Ray Charles and my mom loved Barry Manilow. And I had an uncle who was a, the polka King of Wisconsin. And so I grew yes. up very influenced by him, yes. but really it was, it, it was through reading. And this is the same way that I got into film and the film love evolved that I was, I, I really abused the privilege of wearing out the carpet at the Marion library here. We had an incredible library in town that we could ride our bikes to my brother and I, and I would go and I would spend all of Saturday sitting there reading and listening to different cassettes and tapes and records and whatever it might be. And once I discovered it was buddy Holly, I bought a, this is a really roundabout way that I got there, but I bought a buddy Holly collection tape on the way to my fam- visit my family in Wisconsin one year, it was at a gas station, this like 16 greatest hits, I think it was called. And I was just taken. I mean, I don't know how old I would have been at that time, maybe nine, 10, something like that. And so I started reading about Buddy Holly and I got this, there's a book about him that I still have a copy of that was like Buddy Holly Remembered or something, but it was a digest, like a really big size, oversized full of photos, glossy paper story of Buddy. And that led to reading, learning about Elvis Presley, reading about Elvis, then I learned about his influences. And so just like with movies where the Crestwood House books led to horror as a whole and my entire career, beginning reading about these things before even seeing Frankenstein, I knew the whole story from the Crestwood House book. With music, I was reading about it first And that led to the next thing. Now, this is where relics comes in and how important at that time, someone who you can trust as an advisor and sort of a lighthouse for finding new things played a key role. And that was Erin because she had her finger on the pulse of indie music, indie, whatever it was, whatever genre. And so she could recommend things. I would come in and We'd pull it, use CD out and throw it in just to check it out. And I would blind buy stuff based on covers, go to Iowa City and BJ's, just flipping through the racks and finding anything that looked even remotely like Babes in Toyland or any of these other bands that I love, like Nick Cave. And so really, when I found someone, I would dive in 
headfirst into their history and their loves, what led to what they do. And then I kept going back in time and back in time. And as a result of that, and then being in bands that like with playing with Billy, getting into jazz and blues history, playing a lot of blues festivals around the Midwest. It was a real bizarre hybrid. If you were to flip through my CD binders that I used to tote around. Well, we need to get into your first item on your Iowa playlist here. I want to I want to just suggest one um, because no one's really talked about him. I've played their music on the show, um, and that is Wooly Mammoth. Yeah, Wooly Mammoth is. There's a song called Questions that I like to listen to, and then we can I can tell you a little story about my connection with them. Here's Wooly Mammoth on Iowa Basement Tapes. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
midnight in the world, remember? Maybe we can be like Mass Squad and Stitch, you know? Two mass bombs. We got a 1035, Stitch Tracker! Hurry up! Or Nature Squad! The book is right. Don't you see it's all true? By midnight. You guys! They won't seem so young anymore. Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone.
Night listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, with my very special guest, Justin Beam. And uh, you just heard Deerslayer, who, I mean, for years, Deerslayer was almost in every every week's uh, show. Um, that was off the Guitar Crier album, Left to Dry. That was the uh, bedroom ambient project of uh, Adam Staley Groves, who was in um, Brazil, Wheel in the Fence, um, the PPs, the legendary PPs, a band who I just love to say their name to people. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, and and before the break, uh, we played uh, Woolly Mammoth. Um, yeah, went back that the band that I was in, I mentioned earlier, the end in high school, and we could hardly get booked anywhere because we're just kids. But there was a skate park in Marion that used to be a candy factory of all things. And at some point, someone repurposed it into a skate park, an indoor skate park. And they would hold shows there on weekends. And that became a place, I think we played two or three times there. But it seemed like every time we played there, Woolly Mammoth was the main act. And to this day, the coolest poster that, that, that the end ever was associated with was a Woolly Mammoth gig where they used a great image from some old sci-fi movie, Woolly Mammoth with the end. And we would set up on the skate ramp on the flat part at the base forgive me, I don't know the terminology for this, but just sort of set up in the base of the ramp and then play to the kids outside. And it was great. And it felt so real because it was like living on the, it's like being in, in Peter Pan. There were no adults there. It was all kids. And there was a really raw energy in that place that was unforgettable. And a couple of the most treasured gigs I ever had, but Woolly Mammoth was doing a Primus kind of thing at the time when Primus was really huge. And that song, lean, the questions that you played, leans into that a little bit. As people explore, you'll hear a little bit more than that. But I was just excited that there was a band doing anything in that vein, even remotely, locally. And it was so cool to get teamed up with them a couple times. Now, was Willie Mammoth, were they actually from Cedar Rapids or were they from uh, Dubuque? I have no idea where they were the, from. Okay. I don't know. They played around here quite a bit, though. Yeah, 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 and I, I think I, I, I vaguely, I, and again, I probably caught the tail end of of their run. Um, now, uh, as time moved on, you're you're playing bands in in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area. Um, I want to know when when you started um, writing about genre cinema, and um, what kind of led you down the path that you're kind of in now. That began when I was little, and I used to write stories and then copy them and sell them to kids at school like little scary stories and that was really rooted in my love for classic monster movies and when i first discovered friday the 13th for example renting it from the garden theater in marion which is the little theater that we used to go to for saturday matinees of cartoons when i was a kid they were one of the first places that rented videos and anyway i came up with these little stories that i would then try to peddle to the kids at school and when I eventually met, fast forward many years, I lived in Illinois at this point in, in the Peoria and Bloomington area. And I started writing for some regional music magazines there. And then for some newspapers where I became assistant editor of the, the Illinois Valley Press, which had a bunch of weeklies, weekly newspapers based, run out of the Pantograph office in the Bloomington. And that's really led me into this whole journalism thing. And my love for film has always dominated everything. And when I got the opportunity, eventually to, I bumped into, I think it was Linnea Quigley that I met first. Yeah, it would have been when I met Linnea Quigley on a film called Collapse in 2009. This is when things, I mean, like there's a bunch of stuff in between in this timeline, but in 2009, I met Linnea on the set of Collapse, which Mike and Jason, which the next song will play here, this will tie into X-Ray Mary. I was a zombie in this movie, Collapse, that shot in West Branch, Iowa. And it was a, an, an amazing experience, but Linnea was there for a day, happened to be the day I was there, and she was doing her little cameo thing in it. And I really wanted to interview her for something. I didn't know what. And then I figured, well, I'm going to do this Night of the Demons retrospective because I love the Night of the Demons movies. And I wrote this overly ambitious thing that's like way too long and full of dozens of interviews. And I, and I sent it to the, at the editor at Fangoria, Chris Alexander, who 
was just about to take over the reins of the magazine. No one really knew that, but some people had clued me into it. And I wrote and said, Hey, I really want to, I really want to be a part of this. Fangoria has been such a huge influence on my world and it would be such an honor to be in these pages. Would you entertain looking at my work? And I sent him this massive night of the demons monolith. And he's like, Oh, that's great. It's way too much though. What else do you have? And I was like, uh, and then I sent him a list of these other ideas I had, none of which I had actually written. He's like, well, I'll take this, this, and this. And I'm like, great. And then I'm like, crap, now I have to do this. And so I started fast track writing, interviewing. And so I just dove in head first. And then from there, Fangoria led to Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine as well. And this all led to Trancus International Films, where I became a vice president, which is the parent company of the Halloween films, which is where you and I met around that point. Mm-hmm. And then you had that screening at your theater when I put Halloween back in theaters in 2012. And I think that was the first time that we met. And uh, that was the first time we met in person was down in Fairfield. Yeah. When I had the theater and, and uh, we realized that my, uh, that my, my, my DCP was not <laughs> the right, the right re- restoration. Oh yeah. And we we're like, that looks different <laughs> or that looks a little weird. And it wasn't the right restoration. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't talk about that, but <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, that was that was about the time we actually physically met in person. Because um, I had heard your name around through various friends. There was a lot of Some- stuff going on here. There was a lot of film happening in the area. A lot of independent shorts. Mike and Jason mm-hmm. uh, Bolin, Mike Saunders and Jason Bollinger, who made Collapse, had been doing a bunch of shorts under their prescribed films name out of Atumwa, and so I started just getting in with these folks and going to these Iowa Digital Filmmakers Guild meetings in Iowa City. God, I forgot about that too, yeah. Which was an incredible resource. And then you had IPTV there too, which is where I started learning a little bit about equipment. But mm-hmm. we'd go to these meetings and you're meeting all these filmmakers. And you're like, wow, there is a scene here. I had no clue that it existed. And the whole point of the IDFG was to assist each other with projects. Well, who needs a camera? Who needs some lights? I'm mm-hmm. free next weekend, whatever it might be. And then from there, it just kept growing uh, into, I met the guys from Scream Factory, Shot Factory, at an event in 2012 that I was part of. And then that led to me starting to produce all this stuff for them. And then I had a screening series at the TCL Chinese in Los Angeles, the Chinese theater for a while with, in conjunction with Holly Shorts, which is a great festival out there. Oh, Holly Shorts is an amazing festival. Yeah. yeah. It it just keeps growing. And it's just this amazing thing that led to Paramount now. And, and then I don't really do as much writing just because of time. Cause as you know, film is so demanding of, Mm -hmm. of us and our time, but Remind Magazine, which is a TV guide imprint, has brought me in two years in a row for their October issue, for example. And last year, I made it all about Halloween series. This year, which is dropping now, it's they're shipping now, is Monsters. I made it all about that because Rob Zombie has his new Monsters film, and I wanted to tie in with that. So it's just this wonderful adventure, Christian. I, it's so hard to have a linear story with it, but it's I just pinch myself every day like, God, I'm so lucky, man. But, well, well yeah. I actually want to start talking about this, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit more. I want to start talking about um, this event that's coming up on October 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did one last year, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's at the Highway 61 drive-in um, with uh, a double feature of Monster Squad and Alligator. Yeah. Um, October 1st, everyone needs to go. Um, I'm even telling all my friends in central Iowa, like, I know it's Eastern Iowa, but you got to make the drive. It's going to be worth it. Um, so, um, we got, we need to get into your next song. Um, and then, um, I really, I want us to talk about the drive-in experience and how all this, uh, came together. So, um, what do we, what do we got here, um, for your next song? So next I mentioned, and it does have a tie to this whole film universe is X-Ray Mary. Yes. It's these guys have been have been putting so much into this band for so long and it's out of a Tumwa, I think originally you could say, but it's Jason Bollinger who plays drums for them is one of my best friends in the world. He's half of prescribed films, as I mentioned earlier. And he's, he's an ambassador for 
every musician in this state similar to you. And that's one of the great things about Iowa as well that I've found that whether I'm recording or working with anyone, it's like everyone wants to support the others and there isn't this competitive nature that I've run into very much. And, and Jason is such a proponent of making awareness about Iowa and the music scene here. And so X-Ray Mary, this song is called Vincent Price and his Zombie Girls from their album Manzilla, which is so much fun. These guys are a blast live. Corey Canny, the lead singer, is such a hoot on stage. He's such a wonderful weirdo. And all their stuff. I know they're on a couple comps of yours. They have a number of albums. I think they have a live album too. And they're always traveling and always playing. So please check out X-Ray Mary when you can. And here is a great split album with them and Captain Three Leg, who is a regular band on this show. Because um, they kind of have that, that rockabilly feel to it, you know, a little bit of psychabilly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not like, I mean, you can count on one hand how many like horror inspired bands there are here mm-hmm. you know them being probably the most accessible um or surf zombies like, surf zombies surf, i was gonna say surf zombies yeah. which they rule as well oh yeah uh folks here is x-ray mary vincent price and his zombie girls from the manzilla album right here on iowa basement tapes <laughs>
coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewer. Alligators in the sewer? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. The public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is. Ready to attack at any moment. Well, I've seen what this animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. Unbelieved it. Now, no one will forget. Alligator. Listeners, welcome back to Iowa Basement Tapes. I'm your host, Christian Day, with my very, very special guest, Justin Beam, from over in the Cedar Rapids, Marion area, uh, an amazing filmmaker. Uh, he was, he is, I would still say, part of the Iowa music scene. We talk music all the time. Um, he was in some amazing bands. 
um and back in the the 90s and uh were you did it did that bleed into the early 2000s as well here in in um in iowa not really because i left in 96 i want to say 97 and then i was in illinois for a very long time and then i finally came back in the 2000s later so I missed the whole swath of time that I think is when you were really coming up and discovering all these different shops and bands and things like that. Well, you, we just played CR dicks, um, who, uh, they're actually a fairly new band, but, um, uh, Andy, who, um, this is his, this is his newest project was in the horrors, um, which they were, they came about so late nineties. Oh, the horrors just, I, I always, people are like, oh, so what should I listen to? That's from my own. I'm like, all right, you got to start that there. Is, yeah. You got to start there. That is Iowa's answer to the cramps and they don't necessarily sound like the cramps, but you know, whereas the, the the cramps were very like gross sounding guitar, but with like really kick ass bass, yeah. the the horrors had no bass and just really sick guitar, and just that that was just like that pure energy that you could ask for, um, and and the new project CR Dicks are just. Uh, first, I want to thank them for choosing such a name um, uh, for someone who has to do a radio show <laughs> and have had to have discussions with the general manager at both stations, um, all three stations, about CR Dicks. Uh, and you have to, CR. and when you look up their albums, their album, they have a logo, and it's really the, there's a, a symbol. <laughs> yes. for, there's a symbol for the city of Cedar Rapids. That's this yep. kind of flower. And and yep. and and I'll also, I know you're trying to stop me from going into this, but I'll just simply say their name directly correlates to the logo that they put on the front of all their albums, and it's all Cedar Rapids. And when you drive through Cedar Rapids, when you look yep. over by the courthouse, is this gigantic sculpture, and you can't help but think of this once you've seen it. So you have yep. to look at their album cover. Yep. And once you see it, you're like, oh, there it is, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. I love them so much. I love them so much too. Um, I, I often tell people about you. Uh, and I say, yeah, he's up in Cedar Rapids and he's, you know, he, he produces these, these short docs for Paramount and Scream Factory and he doesn't suffer vinegar syndrome and arrow. And, and they're like, where is he at? And then the, cause it's, it's, it, you're, you're kind of off on your own mm-hmm. up, <laughs> up in, in Cedar Rapids doing this stuff, uh, still traveling all over the place. And, um, but you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to say hundred percent one man band because you do have your resources. You have your teams that you work with on these things, but you're, it's like you're running, you're basically running a small company by yourself. Yeah. And I know, I know that takes so much time out of you, uh, to do these things. Um, you know, one of your, your landmark, I would call them or maybe milestone pieces was the documentary for, um, was it silent night, deadly night? Was it two? Well, was in. one and two, but yeah, two, two, two was the one that I really just, oh, I had such an amazing time on that. Yeah. Actually, my doc is longer than the, than the, than some, like, than the, than the new material on that movie. Cause Silent Night, Deadly Night part two is kind of lambasted by some people for being, oh, it's half the movie they say is the first movie. But I discovered this incredible story behind that film and I learned so much about the the truth behind even a project that's misconceived as being unworthy or something that movie is 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 such an incredible story an ambitious project this this director Lee Harry was handed an impossible mission with this thing and he did something incredible in a very short time frame very ambitious with locations and everything else and then the story of Eric Freeman the lead who's become kind of a meme sensation with Garbage Day online. And he, yep. he disappeared from acting for a very long time, had no clue any of this was happening in terms of this cult following for the movie. And then through my buddy Scott Perlman is able to sort of pull him out of the woodwork and bring Eric, put him on screen. And then we even did this little short that we shot that Eric wrote that's included on that disc that is a bit of a next step for his character. Like, here's Eric today as Ricky and that was incredible to do. I mean, it was, it was an amazing experience. And that documentary, I think is probably that and sleepaway camp are my two favorites so far for full fledged docs. And they're both feature length. 
so I want to uh, I, re- I really want us to get into the drive in because this is a very special thing to have happen um, anywhere, really. Um, you know, we, we hear stories about stuff going on in, in the East Coast with like the Mahoney drive in with like VHS Fest yeah. and um, being a, 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 a um, retro theater showing lots of 35 millimeter and things like that and a lot of genre cinema. You know, Iowa, uh, it, it's you know, when we get it, it's awesome. I know film scene does a lot of cool stuff, but a lot of cool programming down in Iowa city. Um, the Valley drive in here in Newton, which I'm going to tonight to see Friday the 13th and Greece. Awesome. Um, and that's a rare thing. They, they might do this once a year themselves. Um, cause it's, you know, the drive ins mainly a family event, but you've programmed, um, this, this, this event and you, you picked two great seasonal, Family friendly, uh, well, alligator, uh, we'll call alligator <laughs> questionable, yeah. but Monster Squad, um, <laughs> at the at the at the Highway 61 drive in, and uh, is that Makokata? Yeah, it's right near Makokata. Yeah, okay. If, and if you go to Highway 61, actually, I don't remember what it is, 61 theater. I don't know. If you go to justinbeam.com, I have all the information there, and my last name is B E A H M, and that'll have links and everything. But yeah, last year it started, it was. I was in the mountains in California after shooting for like two weeks in Los Angeles. And I like to unplug and go up to Idlewild in the, in the yeah. San Bernardino mountains to sort of let my brain decompress after weeks of Los Angeles or days of Los Angeles. And I was up there and I got this idea. I'm like, wow, this drive in in Iowa. And I, I would love to do some kind of introduction to your fall, to your Halloween season for people to enjoy. And so I reached out to him and it, it, it was amazing. Last year, the whole thing came together in four days that I, I wrote to them. And then I, so I'm like, okay, well, I have no money to license anything properly. So what can I do? And so I wrote to Michael Doherty, my friend who I was working with at the time on Trick or Treat. The, oh no, I'm, I'm sorry, on Krampus for Shout Factory. And also I had him in the Remind magazine, the Halloween issue, because Michael's office is in the Myers house in South Pasadena. He's up in Judith's room. That's his actual workspace because <laughs> he's such a Halloween <laughs> fan. And so this Halloween issue, of course I have to feature him in there. And then one day I just message him. I'm like, man, I'm doing this drive-in thing in oh, four days. Can I play Trick or Treat? And he goes, Trick or Treat's never been at a drive-in. That would be amazing. And he said, yes. And so he's like, if anybody comes at you about this, send him to me. And so I got rights to do it. And then I also was working at the time, still am, with Pam Pierce on Legend of Boggy Creek. And Pam and I have been in this long process of getting a new special edition of that put together that I won't say much else on yet. And I said, Pam, I need a, an opening feature. The per- this movie was kind of made by the drive-in. Can I show this first? And she's like, Justin, it would be so great. Yes, let's do it. So in four days... I put that together and then recruited my buddy Kevin Spencer to put together a quick logo. My friend Jeff O'Neill, who runs Midwest Monster Fest in the Quad Cities, he's like, well, come promote it. Like, I'll, I'll help promote. And all these wonderful people came together to make it possible last year. And it was such a blast, man. It was, it was later September last year. And during Boggy Creek, I had purchased this. Well, first of all, my mom was running the ticket booth. And the kids, Julian's running, the kids are running around and there, I had a costume contest for it. My friend Josh came in to do magic and these vendors came in for it. And in the middle of Boggy Creek, I slipped into this ghillie suit that I had purchased. And in the dark, I'm running around creeping between cars and popping up at people. And these kids started following me, kind of like the Pied Piper as I'm dressed as this monster. Because the movie isn't the most exciting thing from front to back legend of boggy Creek. And I think people were just excited to have something else to focus on, but I just had a blast that night at this very classic drive in. And then at the end of the night, I'm like, let's do Can we do this next year? And the staff was like, my, the lady, the gal who runs it, Sarah, so amazing. She goes, no doubt. Yes, we need to do it. And so this year we have the luck and of time on our side. And I got to through paramount, allowed me to show monster squad which is very kind and then alligator I, I teamed up with my team at shout factory and so i'm able to show alligator what a great double bill 
Monster Squad will be first, so the kids can watch that and then fall asleep. I don't know how into Alligator they'll be and not be traumatized, but <laughs> same as last year. We have more vendors this time. We have our charity this year is Hercules Haven, which is a farm animal sanctuary here in Iowa. As you know, I'm a huge animal activist, uh, vegan, and the the work they're doing is so important, and it's not known what happens to so many farm animals, and I won't get into it too much here, but I'll say Hercules Haven is doing incredible work and we're so honored to have them. So we'll be collecting donations for them all night. And then some folks from their team will be there to talk to people as well. And it's just going to be a blast. And I know my parents are going to be there again to help. And my brother Mitch will be there. It's a real family affair at the, and, and I call it the big sky monster mash. It's horror movies under the stars and so much fun. And I can't wait for it one week from tomorrow on October 1st. I can't believe it. It's, it's not that far away. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very, 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 very close. Uh, no, this is this is amazing. And you picked, again, the films are great. Uh, you've I think you've really honed it in that's going to, in, in such a way that it, it feels inviting for everybody. Um, that's that's the big thing. And that's the one thing I found with Iowa is it, it, it really, it can't be super niche. It needs to be, like everyone needs to feel like they're welcome well, I wouldn't, things. I wouldn't want it to be any other way, really. And that's why there's going to be a charity involved and there's going to be, it is a family thing. And we, the, the films I choose intentionally because I wanted something more family oriented for the first one, but there are two movies that I really love that I really love. And last year was the same thing, but these two especially, and I worked on Alligator earlier this year for Shout Factory and it was a tremendous experience and, and I've always wanted to see it. A lot of people only know Alligator from television. That's where it got its wheels early on. Mm-hmm. was really on TV where it showed pretty frequently when we, when I was a kid, at least, and traumatized me forever. But, <laughs> uh, and then Monster Squad is a cornerstone. That's the gateway for s- countless kids getting into genre cinema, monster stuff. And it's really the, the film equivalent of those Crestwood House books that I mentioned where this is how a lot of people are exposed to this stuff anyway. So perfect double bill. I'm so thrilled to be presenting and I'm grateful to shout and paramount for helping me make it happen. I'm stoked. So that is the big sky monster. Is it monster bash monster mash master mash big sky. That is the big sky monster mash October 1st at the highway 61 driving in Makokata monster squad and alligator, uh, my guest, Justin Beam, thank you so much for being here. This has been a great show. And I'm actually going to close this out with a song that I want you to hear. Um, and they are from the Quad Cities. They were called the After Darks. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard them before. No. They kind of fall in line with X-Ray Mary um, with that uh, that rockabilly. This is this is definitely on the psychabilly side. Oh, cool. Uh, so anyways, I'm stoked. I'm going to be there. Um, everyone should go. It's going to be a great time. Great for the, for everyone to participate in spooky season here in Iowa. Um, here is the after darks taking us out off their record. Rock and roll is dead. Uh, this song is called no good. Good night, everybody. And I'll see you next week right here on Iowa basement tapes.
Iowa Basement Tapes is produced by Christian Bay Media and is distributed across the state of Iowa on community and public radio stations. If you miss a show, be sure to check out the podcast archives on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, and Spotify.